Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I'm sitting here with Anna Chizinski, Alex Bell, and James Harkin. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with you, Chizinski. My fact this week is that the first performance-enhancing drug to be used in baseball was pulverized guinea pig testicles. <laughs> yeah. Pulverized is such a scary word it's when such it's near a good testicles. Word. Would you prefer them whole, though? I, no, just the word. Pulver- I pulverized them. I know, I know. They should have just gone with crushed. It's too many syllables. Yeah. So, yeah, the baseball player in question was James Galvin, who was known as James Pud Galvin, because I think he squashed everyone like puddings, maybe? Uh, not that he used to put testicles in his body. And not It wasn't that, no, because the pudding testicles in his body actually came after the nickname. Mm. Oh. Um, so, he was recruited by this incredible doctor called Charles Edward Brown Saccard, who had come up with this idea and said that he tried it on himself and it had worked that ground up guinea pig's testicles or dog testicles mixed with blood and injected into into a person could reverse the aging process and make someone fitter and healthier and so this baseball player had these testicles injected into himself and lo and behold he absolutely smashed the next game he played really yeah did they pick the guinea pig because just of that scientific thing of a guinea pig as in it's just like that's a thing that you use yeah, yeah, but that's why they used it, is because it's a thing that you use. You're kidding. They actually use guinea pigs when they say it's a guinea pig. They used to. I think today it's, it's less than 1% of yeah. uh, scientific oh, okay. experiments are done on guinea pigs. But it's just, you know, because some are done on guinea pigs. Today it's very rare. It's mostly rats and mice. Right. Um, but at the start of the 20th century, mostly it was guinea pigs. And a lot of Nobel Prizes were won by guinea pigs. Oh, well, yes. And they erroneously claimed by humans. Yes, yeah. exactly. They, didn't, they never got the medals. So there was but... no tiny podium and the very little... No, that would be cool. But, but this yeah, guy, what about this guy? This doctor is so great. Oh so God. he was a, a, one of uh, the world's true eccentrics. Uh, he was a doctor in the 19th century. He was a very well-respected doctor, which is why this treatment was actually taken quite seriously by some people and... Um, it was sold a lot around the country because he is the father of endocrinology, I think people often say. Uh, What's but, endocrinology? Oh, it's the study of hormones. Ah, okay. Um, but he also did some pretty wacky things. So as well as doing this, he um, there was a cholera outbreak in 1853, and he had a new potential cholera treatment he wanted to try. And so he swallowed the vomit of one of his cholera patients in order to contract the disease what? so that he could test out the potential cure on himself. Oh, my God. One of those guys. Yeah. One of I mean, those it's, guys. It's a good, like, it'll give you a good work ethic if you give yourself the disease that you then, like, you've got a time limit. Though. It's a deadline. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's literally a deadline. It's literally yeah. a deadline. <laughs> You're right. I like the way that this guy is one of the eccentrics of that era. Because these days, to be an eccentric, you just have to like grow a beard and wear a hat. Yeah, and like no socks. Yeah, in those days, you used to kind of inject testicles into yourself. <laughs> yeah, and swallow other people's vomit. I think because you trust your doctor who is willing to experiment with their cures on themselves first. Would you? If he walks into your GP and he's just finishing off a pint of vomit, yeah. are you going to go, great, I feel really reassured yeah. now? Yes, I'd recommend him to my friends. <laughs> Um, another thing he did, he was into testicles. He ate monkey testicles, did he? Uh, brown saccade, to enhance his sexual prowess, which he right. said worked very well. And actually, the so the ground up uh, guinea pig testicles, 
that he injected into himself. He said they had a number of different effects. So he could lift much heavier weights. He could run up and down stairs. And he was 72 by this age, so he was barely mobile until he started injecting himself. But also, he said the average length of his urine jet had increased by 25%. And oh. it gave him a greater improvement with regard to the expulsion of fecal matters than in any other function. Say that again? Gave him... He could shit a long way. <laughs> <laughs> he could shit a long way. Yeah. Not, not the speed of shit coming out of him. It was distance. To That's what honest, I want to know. He said improvement, so it's really kind of left to us. Okay. There's a bit of ambiguity I'm there. I'm picturing the, the poster of Deep Impact. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. What a guy, though. Yeah, yeah, so yeah he sounds incredible. So do, is there any evidence that any of the testicles he was injecting into himself worked? Well, they had a placebo effect, certainly. I mean, genuinely, this baseball player's game was enormously improved. So yeah. I read a review of the game afterwards, and I didn't understand any of it, but I got the strong impression that it was unbelievably good. His bat was full of vitality. That was the only sentence I understood. Okay, these okay. days you take Viagra for that, don't yeah. you? <laughs> <laughs> what it was is that he thought the reason that he put testicles in himself is because he thought that it was like a lack of vitality that he had and because they'd found they kind of noticed that eunuchs and people who regularly masturbated were quite frail when they were older and so the idea was you got rid of a lot of some kind of substance in your body um through that and so the way to get it back is to to find some guinea pigs and castrate them but wow. listen up 13 year old boys if you don't want to be doing that you've got to stop masturbating because you'll be frail when you're older according to james yeah. yeah um so the idea of uh testicles and sport uh is not as it goes way further back than this old baseball what do you um, mean Dan, by that <laughs> i mean that uh in the original ancient olympics um that was kind of the their equivalent of doping scandals that they used to chew raw testicles, chew la- or their uh, own <laughs> lamb, lamb testicles. Okay. Yeah, and they would chew it before any of their Is races. That right? Yeah, uh, supposedly. Yeah. Um, I think Pl- uh, Pliny recommended it, didn't he? Did he? Oh, well. Yeah, classic. <laughs> Which is why you know it was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Pliny's the only one that if someone was like, if Pliny told you to walk off a cliff, would you do yeah. it? You'd be like, well, yes. I mean, he's <laughs> he's also told me to eat testicles. And he's got so much weird shit that he it's says. It's astonishing that no one called him out in his own lifetime and it took like 2,000 years for someone to say, I call bullshit on all, everything you've ever said. Yeah. <laughs> But no, so they used to uh, they used to chew testicles, yeah. Yeah. In, in ancient Olympic times, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pulling on other people's testicles was uh, an illegal move in wrestling, as it is today, I imagine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it was easier to do then because they weren't wearing as much. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I would imagine it would be definitely a move I went for if it wasn't against the rules and what, I wouldn't have wrestling. wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> it was- yeah, <laughs> that's why I'm always losing matches. I spend my whole time searching <laughs> down there. <laughs> it must be here somewhere. I read it in Pliny. <laughs> um, Can I? Oh, yeah, sorry. sorry. Well, I was just going to say that just sticking with the ancients and testicles quickly, I was reading about um, some other ancient testicles, Assyrian testicles, and um, apparently it was a criminal act to damage a man's testicles. So if a, if a still, it still is, I think. Uh, well, no, but the punishment was more severe. I think if you kick someone in the balls these days, you'd get in trouble. But oh, yeah, uh, yeah. if you were if you were a woman and you crushed a man's testicles back in ancient Assyria, uh, you would have either the, your finger cut off. So assuming that okay. the finger was what was doing the uh, the crushing of the man's testicles, and then this was another thing that would happen: both of your nipples would be torn off. Torn makes it sound like you're just getting your hands around it and ripping it. Exactly. 
Does that sound terrible? Um, do you know in Ireland, in ancient Ireland, um, whenever there was a king, then when he became king, they had to kind of kiss his nipples or something. <laughs> and so to stop someone from ever being king, you would tear off their nipples. Uh, and they used to, fi- oh. they would find bodies with no nipples, and they know that so- that's someone who's been banned from being the king. Wow. Oh, yeah. do, do you think some people had their nipples torn off and then ran back to collect them later just in case they were king? They could produce them, and then you foiled the person who tore your nipples off. Yeah, there's nowhere in the rule saying it has to be attached to the body. Yeah, precisely. You can make a necklace out of them and wear your nipples. <laughs> or a yes. ring. Or a nipple <laughs> ring. <laughs> <laughs> um, just on advantages in sport uh, and going back to baseball, I was reading today that they reckon that about 25% of Major League Baseball players in America are left-handed. Because uh, we've spoken about before how uh, Nadal um, was both right-handed and left-handed, but, but decided to be left-handed because it gave you an advantage yeah, on the court. Um, it's harder to return if you're right-handed um, to a left-handed person. The same thing kind of applies to baseball as well. Because if you're batting, uh, the left-handed batters have an advantage because they're one step closer to the first base. And it's how weird is that? It's just one step, but they're one step closer. A lot of the argument about uh, left-handers having an advantage is that you come across them less regularly. So if you're a right-hander, you'll come across a left-hander one in ten times or whatever. And so you don't really know how to be against them because you don't really come across them that often. If you're a left-hander going against a right-hander, you come across them all the time. So you have an advantage because you're regularly in this position, Ah, whereas the other guy is regularly not in that position. That's so interesting. In fact, in 1987, I found another way that you can cheat in baseball. It doesn't really work, but uh, there was a Pennsylvanian (laughs) minor league baseball player called Dave Bresnahan, um, and he tagged a runner out by switching the ball with a peeled potato that he had um, (laughs) hidden in his catcher's mitt that he brought onto the field. <laughs> and he got fired the next day because everyone immediately realised, wait, that was a potato. But he did win the point and then he got taken away again. Um, and then he got fired. And now he's a stockbroker. <laughs> so, actually, overall, I think he won. <laughs> yeah, but all this money that they think he's made, it's actually just bags of potatoes. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So the idea of that for people who don't know baseball is someone's running towards the base and to get them out, you can either touch the base before they do or you can touch them before they reach the base and so someone must have thrown the ball he's not caught the ball and just pretended that this potato is the ball exactly it makes no it it makes no sense though because this is 1987 like we had cameras by then like the other thing is also baseballs are readily available so why don't you just have a baseball baseball. (laughs) (laughs) anything else before we move on a couple of things on testicles yeah Yeah. um guinea pig ejaculate is apparently even harder to get out of your head than chewing gum <laughs> How did you learn this? He uh, was pulverizing Alex. a testicle. No, 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 flashback no. went all over <laughs> him. On the internet. I was on a guinea pig forum. And <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a but the first person on the forum didn't give any extra information as to why they had guinea pig ejaculate in their head. Yeah. Oh, no, well, you no. said it like it was a scientific paper. Yeah. This is just a bunch of mates going, I've got. I said apparently. Right. <laughs> um, I tell you, I do have a scientific study. If you feed yogurt to a mouse, you can make their testicles up to 15% bigger. Um, and they also get more luxuriant, silky hair, and they develop a swagger. <laughs> Do they? Well, according to the scientists. You yeah. would develop a swagger if you had more luxuriant hair yeah. Yeah. And, and bigger, bigger testicles. Te- actually, bigger testicles, I feel like, is physically, you just need to walk differently. Don't yeah. You? Yeah. 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 Put it off your balance. Yeah. yeah. Squirrels have 20% the length of their body size testicles. They're massive wow. testicles. I'm- I know that that is true of some animals, but whenever I've been to St. James's Park and I've seen 
squirrels. I think I'd have noticed if one-fifth of their body was testicles. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I've never seen these fables. It's cold here, so they probably retracted. <laughs> um, I've found a few baseball injuries from history. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from a website called Nitarama. Uh, I'll just read a few of them out and see if you like them. Uh, there's a guy called Fat Freddie Fitzsimmons who smashed his fingers on his pitching arm when he fell asleep on his rocking chair and rocked over his own hand. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> is that a baseball injury? Well, it was an injury to a baseball player. Yeah. Uh-huh. They're different categories. Go on. This one's <laughs> also in the same category as the one that I just said, I suppose. Uh, John Smoltz, um, he tried ironing his shirt while he was still wearing it uh, and burned his chest and missed a load of the season. Um, Babe Ruth, famous yep. baseball player, he knocked himself unconscious once by running headfirst into a coconut tree. Wow. Uh, that was a baseball one because he was chasing after a ball. And then the last one, uh, Matt Anderson, who apparently is a baseball player, he shredded a muscle in his right arm while throwing an octopus. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I bet the octopus came off worse. Yeah, he shredded eight arms. (laughs) How about this? The first president of the World Anti-Doping Agency was called Dick Pound. (laughs) That is brilliant. Dick Pulverized (laughs) Pound. (laughs) (laughs) That is a great fact. That's very good. Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is Alex. My fact this week is that there is a power station buried inside a Welsh mountain that's only turned on during TV advert breaks. Okay. <laughs> it's called Dinnerwig Power Station. It's in North Wales in um, Snowdonia National Park. Um, and it's a hydroelectric power station. It's called a fast response power station. In fact, it's the fastest in the world. It takes 12 seconds to produce enough power to power about 600,000 kettles uh, in, in 12 seconds. So that's like incredibly fast. Wow. You press a button and immediately you've got that amount of power. And it's mainly there because obviously demand for electrical power in the UK uh, changes over time. But one of the most common reasons for a massive increase in demand is when a really popular TV program goes to a commercial break. Okay. Uh, so, for example... Um, X Factor or X Factor. Yeah, Strictly. EastEnders, oh no, EastEnders, EastEnders, EastEnders is massive. Wait yeah. a minute, they don't have adverts yeah, on BBC. That's so, <laughs> when it ends, it must be the end of the show. Yeah, yeah. But Coronation yeah. Street, I think, famously has it, doesn't it? Coronation, yeah, doesn't Coronation Street. The biggest one was a World Cup penalty shootout. England versus West Germany, 1990, FIFA World Cup. Okay. Well, oh, that yeah. was that was the biggest, that was the biggest one ever. Yeah, that the kettles were turned on. So, yeah, the biggest passage in the UK. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we had we around. had lost that penalty shootout, so it might have been other things like people putting their heads in the oven. For the end of EastEnders, we have to borrow electricity from France. Do we yeah. really? And I think France would be proud to know the noble program they were supporting in lending that to us. I reckon if the British public knew they were using French electricity, they would turn off their televisions. <laughs> I reckon that at the end of EastEnders, people are like, oh my God, we're running out of electricity. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I found a power station that affected TV more than any other power station, okay. I reckon. What's that? Uh, and I'm talking UK. Uh this is 1964, and it's Battersea Power Station. Battersea Power Station affected TV in a massive way because there was a fire there, and the fire caused uh, power failures all throughout London, uh, so it affected BBC Television Centre. Now, the big thing about it was they had to change the launch date of BBC Two to the next day, 
because oh, so yeah. it was meant to launch and Battersea Power Station ruined it, so they had to launch a day later than they were planning to, Damn. which is nuts. Um, Battersea Power Station. So I I, go- I was googling it today okay. because I pass it every morning on the train. It's it's, oh, it's beautiful to see, yeah, it's uh, and they're redoing it up at the moment. Um, but uh, I was I had no idea the guy who designed it. Is this a well known fact in the UK? The guy who designed it. So his name was Sir Giles Gilbert Scott. So he designed Battersea Power Station. He also designed Waterloo Bridge. But he also designed the red telephone box. Oh, did he? Did he? Yeah. The UK red telephone box. Anyone overseas picture a red telephone box in your head? That's the one. He designed it. That kind of upsets me because I'd much prefer it if Battersea Power Station looked like one giant red telephone box. (laughs) You know what does look like a telephone box? His tombstone is shaped in the same way. He's got a big sort of monumental tombstone and you can go and see it. It looks a bit like By design or by accident? Uh... I, I think he designed it. So uh, it's supposed to look like that? Yes, yeah. Wow. Um, is his tombstone covered in adverts for cool girls? <laughs> <laughs> Just on the subject of the uh, red telephone box, um, currently in Wales there is a mountain that has a red telephone box on it and it's not in use and they're going to remove it but there's been huge protests from local ramblers and huge protests um, <laughs> <laughs> so in uh, Brazil recently they had 3.5 million people on yeah. the streets uh, yeah. is it similar or? Uh, it's bigger I'm surprised they haven't covered it um, well, all the reporters were trying to ring in but yeah. <laughs> yeah but um, so they want to remove it because it's redundant it's not working anymore oh, but cool. everyone there is saying we want you to keep it because the mountain that it happens to be on uh, can be very windy and very rainy at times and it serves as a shelter for people who are suddenly stuck in torrential rain and gale force winds yeah so they actually say it's a lifeline for a lot of people who may get stuck up there so they're they're still this is still a story uh you know that's going on i'll I'll keep you all updated um (laughs) other other news in welsh mountain news yes please Mm, more Uh, protests up there uh so there's 189 peaks uh for wales and one has just been taken off the list. It's called Moluin Moi. Mm-hmm. I can't, that was, that's the it's correct nice, pronunciation. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, has, it was a mountain, and they've now disqualified it. They've taken it off the list because it doesn't meet the height standards that you're meant to have to be classified as a mountain. But mm-hmm. it misses it by a matter of millimeters Really? Yeah, literally millimeters. Really? Yeah, so yeah. they not just scoop up some more snow? and just. I know, you figured yeah. they could do something like that. So this is what it says. Um, it says, the hill... Ooh, controversial. <laughs> hill, mountain Slam. in massive quotes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the hill in Snowdonia, North Wales, needs at least a 15 meter height difference between the summit and its pass, which connects it to the next higher hill. Oh, Recent tests have shown that it misses these criteria by millimeters measured in at 14.77 meters. It needs to be 15, and it's at oh, But that's even easier, because you can just dig a hole at the bottom, right? You figure, yeah, but uh, no one has, apparently. Maybe no one cared enough, really. Yeah. I mean, I mean, because they're all too busy protesting about that other thing. So. Well, there's only so much you can do, you know. <laughs> you got to pick your battles. <laughs> well, there was that movie, The Man Who Went Up a Hill and Came Down a Mountain, which a is great exactly, film. Yeah. Well, it's exactly like this, isn't it? Where he kind of adds a bit at the top, and that's based on a true story. Ooh, so, a chance for a sequel. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it was in Wales as well, I think. Yes, it? it was. Yeah, Hugh Grant in his finest performance yeah. to date. Is <laughs> um, actually, date is optimistic. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> You never know, he might be too. As Dan says, when that sequel comes along. It could be amazing. Notting Hill was going to be Notting Mountain, but actually it did <laughs> miss the required height. Though. Um, 
Yeah, um, that's that's uh, that is all from Welsh Mountain News. I'm Dan Shiver. We'll see you next week. On uh, power conservation, I love this that I didn't know, um, which is about reusing energy. So one of the problems is that is that we generate a lot of electricity uh, and if there's not enough demand for it, it just gets wasted. And we don't really know how to conserve a lot of energy and then repurpose it later on. But we have worked out how to do this on the London Underground, on the Tube. And this is I read this on TfL's website and it was a press release from last year, I think. So I don't know if it's been put into action yet. But they are planning to take the energy that is emitted from tube underground train brakes and use it to power London homes because it releases so much energy. And so they did this uh, pilot experiment on the Victoria line somewhere. And they realized that in one week of getting the energy from tube brakes and converting it into, let's say, heat energy um, or electrical energy, you would have enough power to power a tube station for two days, a tube station like Hoban. So Hoban, wow. for instance, could power itself for two days of the week just off the energy released from its brakes. That's wow. insane. Isn't that cool? Yeah. It's kind of cool that, I mean, Earth is basically still steam-powered because every single major way we have of producing power is basically produce heat in order to heat up water to make steam, and the mm. steam goes around pipes and drives a turbine. And so we're steam-powered. This fact was basically an excuse to talk about the New York steam power system, which oh, I just think God. is the coolest thing. Please, can we talk about that? And you've no. only just got there. <laughs> no. And that's the end of this fact. No. <laughs> Time for fact number three. It's uh, really cool. It's just that um, New York, the, uh, Manhattan is built on a, uh, a whole network of steam pipes. So they have massive boilers, like power stations, basically, but they're actually boilers that, that create huge amounts of steam. And all this steam gets pumped into the buildings. And then the buildings can use the steam in whatever way they like. So they can generate electricity from it using steam power generators they can use it to heat you know power air conditioners or they use it as heating they can plumb it directly into their really? like dishwashers and they've got steam wow. dishwashers that wash dishes using steam and then they condense it in this really really hot water yeah. it's just really cool and that's why new york has this image of being you've always got steam coming up out of the grates like that's true because oh, that's and it's still like that and it's the biggest system in the world and it's just the coolest thing ever i always just thought that was a um for the ninja turtles so that they could not be <laughs> yeah. seen in the evening when they came yeah. out <laughs> To attack well, the but one of the problems is that, that it can explode because it's a pressurized system. So you know, I think in 2011 or seven was one of the um, one of the most recent times when a part of the road just exploded and a load of steam came out. Because, oh wow! Yeah, oh, it's crazy. Wow. Um, actually, speaking of America, yeah, they just don't do kettles, which is quite weird. They mostly don't use electric kettles, and that is because they take twice as long to boil as ours. So. Really? Yeah, isn't it, isn't it so weird? And there's going to be Americans listening who are confused by the fact that this isn't just readily accepted. I'm trying to picture, because I've been to America a few times recently. I'm you trying can get to... kettles, but generally right. they don't use them. And that's because their voltage in their main systems is only 110 volts, and ours is 220. So that means that kettles just boil less fast. Wow. Isn't that weird? Yeah. yeah. Thinking about it, my wife's Russian and her family, I don't think I've ever seen them use a kettle. There you go. Just I think they hob, kind right? of just... Yeah, boil water on a hob. I'm pretty yeah. sure that's what, until recently, at least France used to do as well. Uh, yeah. They were very much more kettle than hob. Are we the only people in the world with kettles? I think th- what I was reading implied it was a bit of a Bre- British quirk. It yeah. sounds like we've had to build entire power stations to deal with this quirk as well. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that 85 million years before butterflies existed, there was another animal that looked and acted exactly the same as butterflies. Hmm. What were they called? Well, they didn't have names. Oh, yeah, I guess, yeah. (laughs) Oh, so the difference is they couldn't talk. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, um, we call them uh, calligrammated lace wings right. um, from the order Neuroptera. Uh, and if you look at them, they've, they've just found some new fossils in China. And these are of things that you would be certain they are butterflies. They've got the same wing shape. They've got the same wing spots and eye spots. They've got the same scales, the same proboscis. Uh, like the the long tube that they feed with. It looks like they feed in the same way. They flew in the same way. Every, they were basically butterflies, but they were 85 million years before actual butterflies. Wow. And we're definitely sure that they weren't just butterflies. <laughs> 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 well, are they, di- are they from a different line? They're not, they're, so they're not related at all? Well, they were insects, so they're related slightly. But also okay. there's a massive period between them and actual butterflies. So exactly. There's not an obvious link. So we have an idea of when true butterflies came in, and this was a lot before that. But this is interesting, because if theoretically you had two completely identical animals that evolved separately, do we still have to classify them as separate species? Now, that is really interesting. They found a load of mussels around Britain a few years ago, uh, and they found some in the North Sea and some down near Bristol and some down on the South Coast. And they all look like mussels because I don't want to be muscle racist, but all (laughs) mussels kind of look the same. But then they did DNA tests on them and they were all completely different species. Like they couldn't mate with one another, we think. Wow. Um, But we would never know that they were different animals because they just look exactly the same. So we'd be trying to force them to have sex and they would be like... Well, we don't really do that much. What kind of beach holidays have you had? So, but that, I mean, isn't it inter- isn't that interesting? It's so yeah. weird because, so it's convergence, basically, isn't yeah. it? Where um, evolutionarily two things develop independent of each other that are exactly the same. But when you look at a butterfly, I think that's got to die out soon because it's a tiny flimsy piece of tissue paper that <laughs> practically dies if I touch it. Um, and yet it decided to evolve twice. Why are you touching butterflies? It's just what I'm into on the weekends. She's trying to force them to have sex. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That is interesting. I guess, I suppose, whatever niche they live in, it must be perfect for them. Yeah. 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 Also, they don't die if you touch them. I just want to clarify that I do know that in case anyone writes in. Don't don't the wing scales fall off? Some of them do, but it doesn't kill them yet. Isn't it cool they have scales, though? Isn't that really weird? Oh, that's amazing, yeah. Yeah. Um, Just on the subject of butterfly death, I read an article... which uh, it it starts, uh, this line is included right at the top. Hundreds of butterflies were killed in a celebration that transformed quickly into a traumatic bloodbath. Um, Now, this is the story. A furniture shop, uh, this is in China, decided that they would do an event. Um, It says here, um, the event would be remembered as a happy occasion for their business. But they were wrong. <laughs> uh, and so How what they, wrong were they, Dan? They were seriously wrong. They opened up. Uh, the idea was that they'd had all these butterflies held in boxes, and they were going to release the butterflies onto the ground, and children were going to run towards the butterflies, and as they were running, the butterflies would fly away, creating a great effect. So it was for children just to chase the butterfly. What okay. they didn't count on is the fact that the butterflies uh, were in lethargic form. I don't know what that means, but it sounds like they're lazy. Yeah, they were tired. So basically... They're there, laying on the floor, all lethargic, while a stampede of children come towards them, <laughs> thinking they're going to fly away, and they just crushed the entire oh. bag. I've got, I've got another story. You know, you know what debutante bulls are, aren't you? Like wealthy families, when the like the daughter of the family came of age, they'd have a sort of coming out party. Oh yeah, yeah. it'd be a big kind of thing. This happened in 1906. There was a Philadelphia woman called uh, Mary Astor Paul, and she had 10,000 Brazilian butterflies imported into her house and hung in nets all over the ceiling of the ballroom. But when the nets were dropped at the end of the party, it turned out all the butterflies had died due to the heat, so the guests were just showered with thousands oh, of dead insects. No. Which I just found so funny. 
Which would be kind of beautiful anyway. It's confetti. Just what, thousands of people running away screaming. It's would you scream? The, I mean, I know you, like, you cower when someone tries to high-five you, but would you <laughs> run away screaming because of a few dead butterflies? I mean, 10,000 in one room. Yeah. Um, I think that one of the really nice things about transforming from a caterpillar to a butterfly is that you stop pooing. I think that's quite cool. So caterpillars defecate all the time, uh, as you know, as a lot of creatures do. They eat a lot and they defecate a lot. Um, But butterflies, they don't really eat. They sort of drink liquid through their proboscis that James mentioned earlier. But they just drink enough liquid to power themselves. Occasionally, if they've drunk too much, they release a very fine mist of water from their abdomen. But mainly, they don't really excrete at all. So you go from being a caterpillar to a butterfly and you mature into not pooing anymore. But what they need is some guinea pig testicles and they'll be firing it out like Billy O. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't drink uh, with their tongue, as in like it passes over that. Drink through their tongue. Their tongue is a straw. There's a hole in their tongue and they slurp the stuff up. That's cool. Isn't that awesome? There are some species that do this thing called mud puddling, which is less like drinking and it's more like you drink any liquid, find any liquid you can, so like blood or like muddy water and stuff like that, and you basically filter the water so it goes straight through you and it comes straight out the other end as they're drinking. And they filter <laughs> all the nutrients. Um, but there are there is one species of moth, it's not a butterfly, it's a moth, but they sneak up to sleeping birds and stick their proboscis through their closed eyelids and drink their tears. Yeah, that's so oh, sweet. cool is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But why are the birds so sad? (laughs) (laughs) They could be tears of happiness. Tears of joy that they've got a beautiful butterfly. They do it to to crocodiles and turtles as well. Yeah, and humans. They can drink. There is this thing called a vampire moth because, um, you know, it's got a reputation for drinking blood from a human. Uh, But I like the fact that they have, uh, when when they crowd around puddles to drink, which they do, they're called puddle clubs. And if you're a butterfly watcher, a butterfly fan, then you go you go to puddle clubs or you set up a puddle club in your garden and they'll flock around it. Wow. That sounds like around. a series of books for teenage girls. The, the puddle, puddle club. club. Yeah. Actually. It sounds like a load of books for incontinent old men. Speaking of butterfly collecting, which I don't know, but it feels like people don't really do that much anymore. Um, in the it's e- television, James. <laughs> Um, In the early 1700s, butterfly collector Lady Eleanor Glanville was declared insane due to her butterfly collecting. And um, an entomologist testified that none but those deprived of their senses would go in pursuit of butterflies. Oh, wow. What? It's not because they were like, yeah, we went to her house for dinner and she dropped (laughs) 10,000 dead butterflies. (laughs) kind of feels like they were looking for an excuse to declare her insane, but that's what they did. Wow. Wow. Someone else, actually, who was declared insane on a butterfly-related charge. <laughs> what are the chances? <laughs> I know. Who would have thought it was very common in the Victorian era? Uh, this was someone who Darwin met on the Beagle Voyage, and he noted down uh, his conversation he had with him in his diary. And it was a guy called Renaus, who was a naturalist and collector, And he related a story to Darwin that he had left some caterpillars in the charge of a little girl and instructed her on how to feed them so that they'd turn into butterflies. Um, And he'd... And so this girl had done this and she'd fed the caterpillars and they turned into butterflies. And by this point, he'd left town and he came back to town and rumor had spread that he'd left these caterpillars in the charge of this girl, promising that they turn into butterflies. And 
People thought that that was absurd, that those butterflies could have come from caterpillars mm. because they didn't realize that, that about metamorphosis and that butterflies could come from caterpillars. And so there was a town meeting and eventually the governors and the padres of the town consulted and they agreed that it was heresy and he had to be arrested. Whoa. So he was arrested for telling a girl that a caterpillar would become a butterfly. Wow. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Because, you, like, I mean, they're so unbelievably different, as we've discussed before. They sort of melt before they become butterflies. Yeah. But people just didn't think it was possible that they were yeah. related. It is absolutely bizarre, isn't it? When you think about that, yeah. it is bizarre. I think it's magic. I've said this since we've all known each other. <laughs> it's the fact that in between the process, they turn into a soup. They're just a soup. And then they come back, and then they retain memory. Yeah, yeah. The of their previous existence. That's that they is do have, it is wizardry. soup with like organs floating in it. Because I thought for ages that it was just total mm. total liquid, but actually it's, it's like kind of if we were able to just melt all our actual flesh. They've got these things called imaginal discs, which I think like it's like lots of little flash drives, and like ones for the eyes, and ones for the wings, and ones for the legs, and they're all floating in this soup. And uh, one of them's you know got all the neurons in it for the brain and stuff. It's great. Wow. They're <laughs> like the baddie in Terminator too. That's what they're like. <laughs> they can just go into liquid form and just come back. Actually, uh, on, have you read the scientific? paper by Donald Williamson that was released in 2012. I know that sounds like a ridiculous question. No, to me it sounds likely that I would have been. I'm sure you have. It was unbelievably controversial but it was published in the Proceedings of Na- uh, the National Academy of Sciences so it was super prestigious and he believes that butterflies and caterpillars are different species. Yes, I have read and that actually. there you go and he's read it. Uh, yeah, because it caused a massive stir yeah, so he's yeah, a yeah. genuine scientist who said that actually two different species mated and produced this offspring at some point, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago and that's the only way that they could exist and a butterfly is a different species to a caterpillar so they're different organisms it becomes a new organism wow and then he got um he got roundly criticized by all of scientists really okay it is time for our final fact of the show and that is my fact my fact this week is that the longquan buddhist temple in china has a monk called worthy stupid robot monk <laughs> so so okay it's uh it's not a human monk it is actually as it says in the title a robot monk they have developed at this um buddhist temple a monk that specific job is for when tourists come and want to chat to people they go talk to the robot monk and he'll answer your questions about what is the meaning of life and all those <laughs> other things um he's programmed to give you answers and he's basically just their pr person when uh, people come because they might be busy doing monk stuff so i'd be quite disappointed if i turned up to a buddhist temple after like years of going on a, a spiritual journey and i turn up and the monks don't want to talk to me and i have to talk to their robot <laughs> yeah I, well Fobbed off with a robot <laughs> yeah well i it's it's they think it's a good way of spreading more idea of what buddhism is because it's kind of like a monk version of siri did you read what the meaning of life is according to no the i robots? didn't no uh, well i looked up an article about him i think it was in gizmodo magazine and it was about him being displayed at a fair at a robot fair <laughs> and he was asked two questions he was first asked what's the meaning of life and his reply was my master says the meaning of life is to help more people finally leave behind bitterness and gain happiness and the next question it was asked was who are your parents? And he said, that's ridiculous. How can robots have parents? <laughs> Which I think... <laughs> that's quite a good answer. It's kind of a bitter it? tone. For yeah. a goodness, he's jumped to anger quite quickly. <laughs> he has. For someone who's just said, leave behind your bitterness and gain happiness, he's really jumped down my throat for asking about his mum and dad. Apparently Tell he's me. very good at um, long, repetitive, monotonous chants because he's a robot, which is a very important part of being a Buddhist monk. So uh, just, yeah, to, just to defend the robot for a second, that we've been yeah. roundly criticising. Wasn't it the Buddha who kind of sat in front of a wall for 10 years or something? 
doing, just meditating. That would be quite easy for a robot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just turn it off. You can see why robots have started out with Buddhism, can't you? It feels like the easiest, <laughs> most achievable one. <laughs> he, um, so just to give a visual to anyone who uh, hasn't yet gone to Google straight away to see what he looks like, he is a two-foot-tall, uh, little cartoon-looking kind of monk. He's got the robes. He's got the yellow saffron kind of robes. And he has a kind of iPad that sits in the middle of his chest, which you can press, and that helps you with the questions and the answers. Was it Teletubby? He's... (laughs) 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 Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, and so it exists, this this little uh, monk, this uh, Sien Er. uh, He exists in this temple, which is 500 years old. It's kind of on the outskirts of Beijing. And, yeah, you can go and visit. He's not always in use. He's sometimes in a cupboard. Um, (laughs) (laughs) meditating it's not been switched off (laughs) can I just say something about the temple that the robot monk came from Mm. yeah because it's really interesting the Longquan temple is famously tech savvy and has been for years so this is really just an accumulation of what they've been working towards for ages and you would love it Alex I thought of you and I was reading about it is it steam powered oh it should be steam powered I think it might even have moved beyond that um, so first of all, a monk from there apparently invented WeChat, which is that? <laughs> you know, what is WeChat? WeChat I think is that like why you stood at your urinal and you're just talking to the person <laughs> next to you? <laughs> first person ever to do it. Yeah, everyone was too awkward before that. Yeah. <laughs> How do you know? It's <laughs> all still we. Not at urinals, well, though, no, but in, in, in cubicles. In, in cubicles, but they do talk. They do, you do shout talk. to each other over the cubicles. We don't talk. Of course, of course you talk. My girlfriend, uh, my sorry, my fiance uh, was telling me just the other day that at work, even her colleagues, they'll go in and they'll just continue chatting. I know that my friends at school did it. This is not anecdotal. Well, no, but that, at the that same was, time, that was the two anecdotes. <laughs> definition of anecdotal. Best scientist ever. <laughs> Just as you were saying that, as the words came out, you're like, no, I would still suggest I've been in more women's toilets than you have in my life. I know, but you don't like talking. I do hate to talk. Can I ask, Anna? You know, this definitely is a thing. Like, I can tell, having not been in many women's toilets, that when um, my wife or a girl that I know goes to the toilet, she'll often bring a friend with her and they'll go to the toilet at the same time. Do they just stand in stony silence? (laughs) (laughs) So, to be honest, I've never done that, so I've never known what they do. Um, People chat in front of the mirror when they're putting makeup on and stuff. This actually wasn't really the point of my (laughs) (laughs) my thing about the monks. (laughs) So WeChat. So this is a yeah, a monk from the Longkran Temple invented WeChat. It is said, and WeChat is basically China's equivalent of WhatsApp, and I suspect that it has many more users. So it's got over a billion subscribers right now, which is a seventh of the world's population. That's basically everyone in China, isn't it? Uh, yeah. It's like 1.2 billion people in China. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Wow. So anyway, it's said that the guy who uh, manufactured it, this guy called uh, Zhang Zhaolong, he went to the temple in Beijing because questions concerning his idea for WeChat had long weighed in his heart. And he consulted with the monks there, and it turned out they're super tech savvy. And one of the monks uh, sat down with him for seven days and talked over the digitization of this idea he had and uh, told him how to do it. And he left after seven days of reflection and chatting to a monk, and he invented WeChat. Wow. 
Isn't that cool? They're moving away from nature and towards technology. And we do know, I mean, the Dalai Lama very famously loves technology, always has, was obsessed with clocks. So maybe it's our impression of uh, tech and Buddhism being incompatible is just our view of that. Maybe it actually they've been Although dying for an iPad. Some all these people years. would say that um, being really into clocks is not being up to date with the most modern technology. You <laughs> 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 and I have comprehended the clock. <laughs> uh, um, there's a robot called WD2. Robot. Is that like an early version of WD40? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, WD40, the 40 means 40th attempt. WD stands for water displacement. Ah. And he made 39 tries and it didn't work. And then WD-40 was his 40th wow. try. So WD-2 is a robot that... It's, it's just a robot with a face that looks at you, scans your face in 3D, and then rearranges its bone structure so it looks like you. <laughs> what? And there's no use for it. <laughs> there's no use? What about fucking people up? Yeah. <laughs> it's basically like a really creepy mirror. <laughs> that would be the weirdest thing That's ever. That's incredible. Um, there's immense use for that. Okay, go on, Anna. All of crime and Harry Potter uh, <laughs> is based around put, making yourself look like someone else, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Harry Potter. I can see. Yeah, you know, they take that potion and... Oh, yeah, that one scene. It's <laughs> <laughs> the only scene I've ever read. four times in the whole <laughs> Hotels are really good places for robots, in Japan especially. Yeah. That's one of the first places in which service industry robots are coming in because they're so well suited to it. You've got okay. all the rooms have got the same, you know, all the corridors look exactly the same. It's all really well organised. And do the, they have robots using, like cleaning the rooms and well stuff? they've got robot concierges if you order room service there are some hotels where uh, you get a little knock on your door and it's basically like it's kind of like an r2d2 robot and it, it looks you, exactly yeah. like you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right we're gonna have to wrap up really soon anyone got anything before we do uh, so buddhist monks have an obesity problem at the moment do they? Uh-huh. Um, and it turns out more than half of buddhist monks are obese and that's because when people give donations to monks it's often like sweet foods <laughs> so they just sit and they eat all these sweet foods that people are, are offering to them and their medical costs are really burdening the thai government and so they've been had to put on this government-sponsored diet and wow. they've also manufactured for them these special girdles which tighten as you put on weight as a gentle reminder that you're getting too fat for your girdle um, I read something similar about nurses in this country. Really? Um, I don't think they're p- putting on a particular amount of weight, but I think they eat too many chocolates because whenever they save someone or look after someone, their relatives always give them chocolates and they just eat shitloads of them. Right. So, and nurses will thank us for this. Next time, give your nurse some raw carrots <laughs> and some celery. Or a girdle. <laughs> <laughs> they're not horses. <laughs> Driving into the wrong hospitals. <laughs> the hospital. <laughs> um. <laughs> okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we've said over the course of this podcast, we can all be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland. Alex. At AlexBell underscore. James. At Eggshaped. Anna. You can email podcast at qi.com. Yep, or you can go to no such thing as a fish.com. That is our website. We've got all of our previous episodes up there, and you can go to our Twitter account as well, which is at QI Podcast if you want to say anything to us as a collective. Uh, otherwise, we will see you again next week for another show. Have a good week. Goodbye.